Daily news and analysis. We keep you informed and inspired. This is World Today. The United Nations Chief Antonio Guterres has delivered a dire warning to leaders from across the world, expressing deep concern about the mounting global challenges and escalating geopolitical tensions. Our world is becoming unhinged. Geopolitical tensions are rising, global challenges are mounting, and we seem incapable of coming together to respond. How can world leaders effectively address and navigate these challenges? Are we witnessing a rising undercurrent in the world's political landscape, fundamentally reshaping global dynamics? Welcome to Road Today, the panel discussion with Mika Anna in Beijing. The 78th UN high-level general debate has convened against the backdrop of increasingly complex global challenges. Leaders and senior representatives from around the world gathered to address pressing issues, including sustainable development goals, climate change, rising security concerns, and proposals for UN reform. This year's theme, Rebuilding Trust and Reigniting Global Solidarity, Accelerating Actions on the 20th 2030 agenda and its sustainable development goes towards peace, prosperity, progress, and sustainability for all underscores the urgency of global cooperation in achieving a more equitable and sustainable world. Chinese Vice President Han Zheng echoed the theme and emphasized the importance of staying true to multilateralism during his speech at the meeting. He also called upon the international community to strengthen the representation and voice of developing countries and make global governance more just and equitable. Then for the gathering and more, let's have Dr. Tim C. Kurzweil, research fellow at Advanced Institute of Global and Contemporary China Studies, Chinese University of Hong Kong. Thanks for joining us. Thanks. Dr. George Zugopoulos, Director of the EU-China Programs and Senior Research Fellow at European Institute of Nice. Great to have you, as always. Thank you for having me. And Professor Chu Bo, China Foreign Affairs University. Thanks for taking your time with us. Thank you very much. Gentlemen, UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres warned in his speech that the world is becoming more unstable, geopolitical tensions are escalating, peace and security are facing unprecedented pressures. He mentioned the stalled nuclear disarmament, a weak world economy, inefficient financial system. At the same time, inequality is intensifying, hate speech is increasing, and the humanitarian system is on the verge of collapse, and the international community is facing a series of threats to human existence. Dr. Kurzweil, let me begin with you. Are such characterizations too alarmist? How do you interpret his assessment of a broad situation today? Uh, I would say if you listen to any UN general secretary that's ever given this speech in the past, you'd notice a common trend, which is, you know, the world's terrible, we're not cooperating enough, uh, everything's going to be doomed, <laughs> that sort of thing. If you if you look at it seriously, instead of thinking too emotionally, then almost every person in his position has given a sort of extremely negative speech. Now, that's not to say that many of the problems that he's talking about in this speech don't exist. You know, I, I'm sure we can, we can all remember things that have happened in the last year and say that, okay, some of what he's saying is true, but it's a grain of truth. And I think you know, what, what perhaps he's missing is there's a lot of positive developments in the world at the moment. Um, you know, the idea of a multipolar world being one of them. And even though he mentions it, he perhaps doesn't make enough out of how serious and important that change is. So for a lot of countries, things are getting better um, and their position in the world is improving. Right. And then maybe it's not such a crisis after all. Dr. Zugablis, do you consider these descriptions to be excessively pessimistic or as Dr. Kurzweil described, this is just a common practice of UN Secretary General in general? What's your perspective on his evaluation of current state of the world? Well, I would be a little bit more uh, pessimistic than the other prestigious uh, speaker, and I'm saying so because the world is emerging from the COVID-19 pandemic without necessarily being united. 
while at the same time there is currently a war going on in Ukraine, uh, which is making international efforts for uh, peace and stability highly difficult. And if we take into account the new geopolitical uh, conditions which are being created in the world, uh, obviously someone might realize uh, that the situation is quite critical, I would say, uh, for the day after, as well as for international cooperation. So within this context, I would say that the general calls of the UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres for the need of international cooperation and for the need at least to reach a common denominator in order to work together towards peace and prosperity are very important. But obviously, as we're going to discuss later, the challenges towards this direction are very big and very difficult to overcome. Professor Tribo, how do you interpret his appraisal of the current global situation? What are the underlying implications behind his statements? Uh, yes, for, uh, so uh, first of all, uh, definitely that is sure uh, because uh, he is the uh, UN General Secretary and he tried to highlight the uh, some the problems or challenges uh, the world are uh, are confronting uh, in the uh, currently and in the near future. But on the other hand, I think that is also pretty true. The current international situation. Uh, so sometimes we call the global governance deficit, definitely we have this kind of uh, problems by now. And especially, I think uh, that the current international community lacks a kind of uh, atmosphere of cooperation. And especially for several regions, the first is because the geopolitical confrontation uh, among major countries, and especially the Ukraine crisis is still uh, uh, ongoing. And the uh, the problems between uh, Russia and the United States and the Western countries and the deteriorate uh, the possible uh, cooperation possibilities. And the United States treat China as the major economic uh, competitor. That also imposes some uh, uh, challenges. So, But this is the first, that the geopolitical uh, problems really uh, deteriorate uh, the uh, uh, international cooperation uh, atmosphere. And on the other hand, I think... Uh, the second, I think I would like to say, uh, that, uh, against the current situation, many countries really concerned about their own uh, countries, uh, and especially like uh, the domestic politics in industrialized countries. They are not welcome, like the economic globalization, not welcome uh, the migrations. So um, from at the international level, because the geopolitical competition and the domestic level, they pass the pattern uh, so-called embedded imba- liberalism of these Western uh, liberal countries already proved how uh, a lot of problems. So that make uh, uh, the problems or challenges uh, put forward by uh, Secretary General uh, mentioned much more difficult to uh, to solve. So this is called the uh, also called the global governance deficit. Uh, against this background, make um, uh, this situation get worse. Professor Chubo, one of the main challenges the world is facing has shown in this year's theme, rebuilding trust and reigniting global solidarity. As the theme pointed out, trust uh, in international cooperation has been tested in recent years. What are some of the key global challenges and events that have eroded trust among nations and uh, major stakeholders? Uh, So first of all, let's look at the trust uh, at the international level. And actually, uh, mainly there are maybe there are two kinds of uh, uh, trust. The first is like uh, the children uh, has trust with their parents without uh, preconditions or free conditions. Mm-hmm. So that the trust built in certain uh, relationship. Um, so like if the countries they are much more close and to be like friends, the level of trust may be high. And the second type of trust. Uh, just like the former uh, president, United States President uh, uh, Reagan said, trust but verify. <laughs> so first of all, we trust, but we need to verify uh, the behavior. So by now, I think uh, that is to track the, uh, the the consistency between words and their uh, deeds. So by now, I think the major, uh, maybe also the major uh, problem or challenge uh, eroded trust among nations is still about the 
uh, geopolitical competition and the so-called the Cold War uh, mindset, and especially the zero-sum game mindset, uh, really deteriorate uh, trust. And on the other hand, when we look at the function of international organizations, and when we talking about how the international organization could promote, uh, facilitate cooperation among nations and uh, increase trust among countries. And I, I think at least the two functions the international organizations should uh, play. The first is so-called monitor, and the second is enforcement. Um, but now I think uh, because uh, there is no agreement uh, agreements among major countries, that make very difficult for international organizations to civilian and enforce certain rules and then to improve uh, trust among major countries. Dr. Kurzweil, how do you look at the trust deficit today? Could you elaborate on the key factors or events that have contributed to this erosion of trust in world community? I'd probably point to three key events. And like one I would say is the way the United States behaved through NATO after the end of the Cold War is the first major thing that eroded trust. So they are documented as having made a promise to the Soviet leadership in those negotiations that NATO would not expand beyond the borders that exist at that time. And as we all know, NATO did expand significantly all the way up to the Russian border. Right, the second event that um, eroded trust in global institutions and among nations would be when the United States decided without Security Council authorization to invade Iraq in 2003. You know, so that destroyed trust in the international system and the role of the Security Council and the United Nations in being able to preserve global peace. And then um, recently, uh, after 2014, the Minsk peace process that sort of uh, contributed to today's Ukraine crisis um, all of the Western countries basically admitted after that process was over and after the war or the conflict emerged that the reason that they dragged out the Minsk peace process for so long was to give time to arm and train the Ukrainian military um, for offensive operations against Russia. Um, after that, that was the moment where at least the Russians are on record as saying that was the point where we decided to stop trusting the Western countries in general. So I would say that these are three of the key events that show that in, in, a, in a long trajectory, when the Western nations were in a hegemonic position, they behaved in an extremely untrustworthy way. And that really undermined the ability for countries to trust each other. Uh, Dr. Kurzweil, given the background, the three events you just mentioned, are there specific trends or patterns that stands out in terms of trust dynamics between countries in today's world? Um, yeah, I would say that those events probably brought the countries of the global south closer together. So they're more likely to trust each other because of the eroded trust in the, you know, the established hegemonic powers. So, you know, you saw organizations like the BRICS emerge during this time, um, more or less because they found that they had more common interests and were able to trust each other. Um, and, and there was less trust in the Western countries, you know, from this period onwards. Dr. Zugablis, as we discussed, the trust is often seen as a cornerstone for effective international cooperation. Could you highlight specific examples or incidents in recent years that you believe have demonstrated a decline in trust between countries? Well, I believe that the current status of the international order is uh, highlighting the uh, lack of trust that uh, exists. And obviously, if we are only looking at the UN Security Council itself, this is indicative of how divisions are being uh, played out and deepening, and why it is so difficult for the one side to trust uh, the other. So obviously, uh, I believe that the lack of trust uh, is starting uh, from the ongoing geopolitical competition, and there are many reasons for the ongoing geopolitical competitions, also as the previous speakers highlighted, and this might require also a comprehensive analysis. But I would like mainly to look at the result, which is the lack of trust itself, and also a potential solution about how trust might be restored. I believe that the current situation in the world right now, in 2023, is much worse as it uh, had been before the outbreak of the COVID-19 pandemic. Mm -hmm. And I think that from the moment uh, uh, during uh, the COVID-19 pandemic, main world countries, including at the UN level, could not work together in order 
to respond to a common threat, we cannot be optimistic about the future. So I would say that more dialogue is required among all countries, but the fact that our countries are prepared to talk to each other does not mean that we will be able to solve differences and work together towards common prosperity and peace. So again, I would say that I'm not very optimistic, although obviously dialogue is very good, uh, uh, a very good remedy and recipe in order to look toward the future. Dr. Zugopoulos, speaking of the uh, new patterns or trends in the dynamics of trust between nations today, what impact had this trend had on the pursuit of peace, prosperity, and sustainability on a global scale? Well, the, the impact uh, has been uh, massive. And uh, we have seen, for example, that during the COVID-19 pandemic, uh, vaccines were not uh, equally distributed among countries in, in the world. And this uh, uh, inequality, if I could say, has been one of the reasons, as also my previous distinguished colleague said, that uh, deepened the, the rift uh, between uh, the West and the developing world, because the developing world, for example, witness this inequality in practice. But also, if you are looking at uh, the level of security in international affairs, there are several crises, even beyond the war in Ukraine, which are highlighting how difficult it is for uh, peace to be secured and guaranteed, because the whole discussion here is synthesized about uh, prosperity and peace, but it seems that this practically cannot uh, easily happen. And if we are looking in the last uh, 20, 25 years, there were uh, several wars which broke out. The Iraq war, for example, in 2003, uh, is an indicative example of uh, why peace cannot be practically secured. And at that time, uh, the UN Security Council had been paralyzed, for example. So we have several examples, and I believe that it's time to see up to what extent dialogue can contribute to breakthroughs, not only to a round of discussions where everyone is disagreeing, but to breakthroughs in order to together solve world problems. Professor Chubo, what's your take, given the challenges has been laid out by uh, Dr. Zugopoulos? Do you identify any notable trends and new patterns in the way trust is evolving among countries? Uh, so I will uh, look at about international economic relations. And uh, I think uh, now on, uh, the Western countries, they are going to uh, political rise or uh, security rise, uh, international economic relations or uh, economic interdependence. And in some cases, they try to weaponize uh, the economic, inter, uh, e- uh, economic interdependence. So, for example, the United States, because of uh, lack of enough trust. So, if you look at why the United States uh, like to impose economic sanction or put some Chinese entities, uh, uh, companies onto the entity list, and not just the United States itself, the United States also persuade or, uh, uh, or uh, forced uh, its allies uh, to take actions against the Chinese. Uh, companies like Huawei, like the uh, 5G uh, technology and others. So I think this is kind of uh, the, maybe the consequence from uh, from the uh, from lacking of enough tri- uh, trust. And on the other hand, we also can look at how the United States uh, is uh, weaponized uh, the uh, economic interdependence. For example, during the uh, Ukraine crisis, the United States imposed economic sanctions against Russia and especially cut financial connections Russia with the outside. And I think that really uh, deteriorates the foundation of the trust of uh, foundation of uh, uh, international financial relations. So uh, if this kind of other countries also concern about the capacity of the United States weaponize the economic interdependence that will make uh, uh, economic globalization and economic relations cannot open uh, and cannot uh, stable anymore. 
Professor Chibo, earlier you mentioned international organizations, um, their capabilities to boost trust among nations. Guterres also called for effective multilateral institutions to tackle these global challenges. In light of the evolving trust issues, what do these trends imply for the current international rules and systems, we know many of which were established by Western nations in the post-World War II era? Are these systems adapting effectively to the changing global landscape today? So uh, for, uh, I would like to answer uh, the second part of the question. Yes, and please. I think uh, that definitely the systems uh, now uh, uh, are not adapting effectively to the uh, changing global landscape. And uh, uh, so that is why there are a lot of so-called global governance deficits. And a lot of problems cannot be solved, like uh, climate uh, climate change, uh, uh, global financial uh, stability, and other uh, issues. And uh, but on the other hand, we need to look at uh, the international system, all the international rules, all the multilateralism actually based on uh, the support and uh, authorized by uh, countries, and especially by the major countries. And because of the current uh, competition and uh, suspicious among the major countries, that really uh, weakening uh, the foundation of international systems. And when we look at about the current international uh, international organization or international rules, definitely evolved from uh, at the end of World War Two, but. And Western countries, and especially uh, the uh, the United States, really enjoy the advantage of these whole systems. But by now, uh, like China and other uh, emerging economies and developing countries, they are emerged uh, within the current uh, international system. And that makes the United States uh, feel uh, their position or their uh, leadership challenged by uh, the new emerging economies. So, so that is why they try to uh, change or rewrite uh, the international uh, rules or international uh, system. So that is why there is a, there's a debate. Uh, uh, there is a big debate on what is a real uh, multilateralism, right? The real multilateralism now, now solely uh, dominate and uh, right by the Western countries, by led by the United States. That should all countries participate process uh, to uh, to reform the current uh, international system and rules. Dr. Kurzweil, what's your take? What insights can we draw regarding the current international order and the system? Are these systems demonstrating effective adjustments to the evolving global landscape? Uh, no, and I'd probably give one really what I think is an important example. So if it's true that after the, the global pandemic that the world's economy is struggling to recover, where would we turn to to lead multilaterally an effective recovery? Well, we'd probably turn to international financial institutions and that type of thing, right? What do we know about the current international financial institutions? Well, the World Bank does not reflect the current realities of the international economy. The president of the World Bank must always be American and the voting rights and distributions that work within the World Bank do not reflect the current international distribution of economic value, right? So many European countries are overvalued in this process and many important emerging economies are undervalued. And so it's no wonder that these institutions have no solution to, um, how to how to restart the world economy when they don't reflect the world economy in the first place. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Dr. Kurzweil. You are listening now to Road Today. We've been talking about UN General Assembly's high-level meetings and a changing global political dynamics. Let's have a short break. We'll be back in a minute.
Welcome back to Road Today with Mingge Anna in Beijing. In the first half of the program, we've just explored some critical questions about the erosion of trust, international cooperation, and the assessment of the road situation by UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres. Let's find out more in the next half hour, exploring policy initiatives, diplomatic efforts, and potential solutions to rebuild trust among nation states and navigate the challenges in today's. Global landscape. We are joined by Dr. Timothy Kurswell, research fellow at Advanced Institute of Global and Contemporary China Studies, Chinese University of Hong Kong. Dr. George Zugaplas, director of the EU China programs and senior research fellow at European Institute of Nice, and Professor Chu Bo, China Foreign Affairs University. Dr. Zugopoulos, let's continue our discussion. Uh, we talked about the effectiveness of multilateral institutions to tackle these global challenges. What do you make of these, the current international organizations? Are these systems adapting effectively to the changing global context? Well, this is a very important question. And uh, let me start uh, by the uh, paralysis of the UN Security Council when uh, important uh, developments uh, are being uh, discussed uh, among the, the permanent uh, members. And uh, we experienced that uh, in 2003 when uh, the discussion uh, was uh, synthesized around the war in Iraq. And we uh, experienced that uh, last year in 2022 when the discussion did focus on the war in Ukraine. And uh, we saw uh, on, on both cases uh, that it was impossible uh, for uh, the UN Security Council to act uh, united uh, for the ba- very basic reason uh, that uh, one of the members of the Security Council had the better power. Uh, so this is right now at the core of the debate about uh, how the international order might look uh, in the future. And we all know that there are different schools of thought about how uh, the reform of the UN and the UN Security Council uh, could look like in the future. Uh, But again, I believe that the basis of our discussion is how difficult it is for different schools of thought to reach a common denominator, because we are aware of different positions about the reform. We are aware of different points of view regarding the role of the UN in the international system in general. But if there is uh, no uh, real breakthrough among uh, the uh, members of uh, the Security Council at first to reach uh, such an agreement about how the UN should look like in the future, then we cannot be uh, optimistic. It's good, obviously, that the UN... uh, Secretary General Antonio Gutierrez is preparing a very important summit for the autumn of 2024 about the future of the world and the future of the UN. And uh, we can be hopeful that uh, deliberations in the next uh, months could lead at least the main powers to, uh, to achieve uh, a common understanding about how to proceed together again towards the common uh, goal of prosperity and peace in the world. Dr. Zugabla says we are facing so many pressing issues as a global community. Are there any specific policy initiatives or diplomatic efforts that have been emphasized during the debate or over the years that you believe could help rebuild trust among nation states and overcome the challenges in order to um, cooperate and strengthen or reform the current international system? Well, if we are looking at uh, security affairs, uh, for example, and development affairs, uh, there are countries like uh, China which had advocated for some uh, uh, interesting proposals like the Global Security Initiative or the Global uh, Development uh, Initiative. Uh, But the thing is that uh, we are not lacking ideas. What we are lacking uh, is uh, what you mentioned before, trust among major powers Mm -hmm. on how to proceed uh, together. And uh, I believe uh, that uh, what matters uh, at the current uh, time is to see whether, especially the two main uh, actors in the international system, the United States and China, could proceed together toward reaching a minimal level of of understanding. Again, I believe that uh, the key word that you nicely used uh, 
uh, before is the word uh, trust, because the ideas do exist. The question is up to what extent the ideas which exist can lead to a minimum level of understanding. Professor Chubot, do you see any specific policy measures or diplomatic endeavors that have received significant attention recently to uh, navigate these hurdles towards strengthening or reforming the current global framework? Yes, I, I would like uh, uh, I would like to say uh, the uh, global uh, security initiative uh, put forward by uh, by China, especially by presidency. And last year, uh, I think uh, presidency formally put forward a global uh, security initiative. And uh, I think the key uh, idea and principle about uh, uh, the global security initiative is about adhering to a common, comprehensive, cooperate, and a sustainable security outlook. And this, I, I think, mainly when we're talking about how to rebuild trust, and uh, I think major part is about ideas, is about mindset. So I think uh, presidency uh, really highlights the, uh, the 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 new outlook, the new outlook for security, for sustainable, uh, uh, for sustainable security. So this is pretty uh, important. Dr. Kurzweil, what's your take? Have there been uh, specific policy initiatives or diplomatic strategies you consider instrumental in rebuilding trust among nation states and addressing these challenges? Yeah, I would say that um, whether or not the large developed countries are willing to play along yet, but I think many of the developing countries have shown the way in terms of building effective multilateralism. So we can see that in initiatives like the G77, for example, the, the group of the developing countries working together, or the BRICS and its expansion this year after a successful meeting as good examples of effective multilateralism. What it's demonstrating is that um, the developing countries can find a way to cooperate with each other, irrespective of whether there are obstacles to cooperation in other areas of the world. So it doesn't really matter if certain powers are unwilling to give up their hegemonic position or unwilling to take steps to rebuild trust. They're going to try and rebuild trust themselves. Dr. Chris, well, as you said, the multilateralism demonstrated among developing countries compared to previous ones, this year's UN General Assembly has played a greater emphasis on the global south countries. Several high-level meetings have focused on the priorities of developing countries in Africa, Latin America, and Asia, including climate, health, and financing. How do you look at the role of global south today in rebuilding trust and reforming the global order? Well, I think whether or not anybody likes it, I think the global south is consistently rebuilding the global order as we speak. Um, I think there's there's numerous developing countries who are playing a much more active role in world affairs. We could name China as one and India perhaps as another that are taking a much more um, assertive diplomatic stance and um, speaking on behalf of the global south, as you mentioned. But it's not just them. I think there's a lot of signs that um, many, many developing countries are willing to take a more active and independent role in global politics. Um, we can see that by the diversity of nations that were invited to and joined the BRICS countries this year um, from all of the um, all of the continents of the developing world. And you know, that's a sign that um, they're willing to step up and play a more active role in, in what, what is called effective multilateralism. Dr. Zugopoulos, earlier you mentioned the difficulties of developing countries to navigate the complexity of geopolitics and power dynamics in the face of resistance from established major powers. How do you see Global South's evolving role in shaping international norms, institutions, and alliance to promote a more equitable and inclusive global order? Well, this is a very important uh, question, and I would like to offer two different uh, uh, analyses, if I may, about this. The first is the analysis which is coming from the Global South itself, which uh, is considering uh, uh, its position in the international system as uh, rather uh, weak, or I would say as uh, not uh, proportional in relation to uh, its uh, a rising uh, uh, contribution to the international system. 
And uh, in that regard, it is a natural development for the developing uh, world not only to ask for more in terms of its uh, representation in world governance, but also to work together in order uh, to find uh, remedies and solutions for its uh, existing problems, uh, which are vacillating from uh, the infrastructure works to public health, uh, green growth, and digital uh, um, uh, governance. Uh, the second analysis I would like to offer in that regard is how the West is, is seeing uh, the global South. And, and here uh, there is uh, a main difference in the perception because from a Western point of view, for example, uh, the critical question is whether the global South could align its policies with the West uh, in the future. Uh, so you see that even uh, this uh, interpretation of the global South from two different perspectives, is uh, perhaps uh, representative of how difficult it is to hope for uh, common solutions in the future. But what matters, in my opinion, at first, is to look at the Global South Act and the developing uh, uh, world uh, from the perspective of common uh, growth, prosperity and peace, because uh, that kind of values are highly significant in order for the developing world uh, to catch up after the pandemic and in order for the developing world and for the people in, uh, in, in continents like Africa or Asia or Latin America, for example, in regions like, like Latin America, uh, to experience uh, uh, conditions uh, which will uh, uh, improve their uh, everyday life. I think that's indeed a thought-provoking analysis when you compare when you compare the concept and the image of Global South from two different, two completely contrast views from Global South themselves and the Western narratives. Dr. Zugopoulos, but many believe that Global South is more awake and capable of maintaining independence and autonomy than ever before and no longer need the lecture quote-unquote, from the Western world. Do you sense any trends in that? Well, uh, it is uh, another very important uh, question, and you correctly point out that uh, several countries in the developing uh, world uh, are no longer particularly interested uh, in uh, um, uh, uh, agreeing with the Western narrative and with Western uh, policies uh, concerning not only the developing world, but also the future direction of the international order. And as you ask this question, I think that it's also very important for uh, the West to better understand and approach the problems of the developing uh, world, because uh, the Western position in the developing world will uh, improve if that kind of problems are seriously taken into account, and if policies really contribute to the solution of those problems. And if we compare, for example, uh, right now, the Western policies with the policies of China towards the Western world, China, for instance, is placing more emphasis on uh, dealing with the existing problems. And this is one of the main advantages that China is uh, having within the developing world. And I believe that, again, the fact that we are considering so many different perspectives uh, in talking about the very same issue is uh, highlighting the fragmentation that uh, currently exists uh, in the world. And it's also a good opportunity to look for solutions in order to overcome the existing divisions, because if these divisions are not overcome, then they cannot be hopeful about common prosperity and peace. Professor Chubo, what's your take on the evolving role of developing nations today? Yes, definitely. Uh, when we look back about history, like uh, 50 or 60 years ago, and uh, the developing countries, uh, they just got independence from uh, their past, from their uh, colonial uh, countries. And they organized together and uh, established so-called 77 Group. And especially in the second half of the 1960s and the 1970s, uh, they tried to promote the idea of so-called new economic uh, order. That really uh, made the world notice them. But I think this time, after 50, 60 years ago, this time is different from uh, the, the history because this time uh, the global thoughts and especially uh, the new emerging economies and developing countries, uh, they already increased their their capacity at the international level. So this is why this time is different from the 
uh, all developed from the previous uh, uh, experience. So, and that is why the uh, the uh, global uh, South uh, they have much more resources and much more uh, capability to participate uh, in global governance. So we and uh, the other panelists also mentioned uh, just uh, during the last uh, August, the August uh, the the BRICS summit, uh, the many uh, other developing countries uh, joined uh, the BRICS plus. Uh, dialogue and uh, uh, the G20 uh, summit uh, in India and welcome the uh, the African Union to become member of G20. So all this already so the global South are uh, uh, are playing uh, more and more important role in uh, global governance. Professor Chibo, earlier Dr. Zugablas talked about the trend that Global South has become increasingly vigilant and empowered in safeguarding its independence and autonomy. What does this trend imply, in your opinion? So, f- first of all, uh, because of this, uh, car- uh, 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 the, the current uh, background, so-called the counter, um, uh, the, there are some counter trends against economic globalization, and uh, a lot of the uh, current economic, uh, international economic relations uh, make the developing country of global south uh, currently in a, a disadvantaged position. So that is why, uh, and by now, the global uh, south organized together. And uh, uh, and this, and on the other hand, uh, this is also the, the economic development of China also make examples uh, for global south. When we look back about the Chinese history, our, our record of economic growth, and just like President Xi said, the success of Chinese economic growth make examples for developing countries want to achieve economic growth, and on the other hand, also want to maintain uh, independence and autonomy. Dr. Kurzweil, would you like to weigh in a little bit to the Global South's weakening and independence? Yeah, I think it's clear that the the unipolar moment, so the time where there's only one big giant power in the world, is over. And as a result of the fact that there's a more fractured um, global leadership um, or or distribution of power in the world, um, countries in the global south do find that they're in a position where they don't have to obey the dictates of one power. So in particular, when it comes to development assistance, for example, in the past, maybe a country would be stuck in a position where they have to accept they have a crisis economically and they have to accept um, loans or a bailout package from the IMF or the World Bank, which impose severe policy conditions on them and basically strip them of their sovereignty and autonomy. Um, One of the positive roles that China's development has played in the world is that now um, countries from the global south can work together with China and rely on Chinese development assistance as an alternative. And this has created space for them um, to have that alternative and to say that, you know, we don't have to surrender our sovereignty in order to get development assistance. And that's put pressure back on the World Bank and the IMF mm-hmm. in turn um, to offer better terms and conditions uh, under those circumstances. Dr. Kurzweil, speaking of China's position and proposition in today's global governance, Chinese Vice President Han Zheng attended the general debate. During this visit, Han Zheng discussed several important global issues and emphasized the importance of cooperation and collaboration between countries. Can you elaborate on China's specific stance to addressing global challenges such as climate change and sustainable development goals? Um, yeah, I would say when it comes to climate change, then China's contributions have been pretty notable. Um, it, the country that leads the world in afforestation, so where you know previously desertified spaces become replaced by forest, the country in the world that leads the production of green power supply, and the country, the developing country, but the country in general that set the most aggressive target in terms of um, you know, uh, re- reaching carbon neutrality, um, despite its you know, status as a developing country, still set a very ambitious goal uh, to reach carbon neutrality very early. And then uh, when it comes to um, sustainable development goals, the obvious achievement, I mean, sustainable development goal number one is no poverty, right? And um, China has demonstrated through the last couple of decades that it was you know, a, a commitment that it seriously met overcoming extreme poverty and 
ending poverty in general、um, in in the year 2020. Professor Chubo, do you share the same stance? Could you provide more details regarding China's specific approach and commitment to tackling global challenges today? Yeah, I, I would like,、uh, for example, like about the、uh, sustainable development,、uh, development goals, and just like uh, uh, the former、uh, panelists mentioned, and trying to really take sustainable、uh, development goals very seriously. And uh, uh, in the last、uh, almost decades, trying to reduce our uh, uh, leave the,、uh, our people out of the absolute poverty condition that contribute to. Uh, the global uh, the, the global de-、uh, sustainable development goals,、uh, and on the other hand, China now just uh, uh, itself out of the、uh, leave the people out of the absolute poverty, and now China is uh, uh, the last year the president seem、uh, uh, put forward like the global development initiative, and this year when he attended the BRICS, he also. Uh, and G20,、uh, he also highlights the importance of global、uh, development. So this is how China try to make the international community to refocus or to put global、uh, development as the top priority um, uh, for uh, international community. And also, China、uh, is going to contribute more uh, to uh, to help other developing countries uh, in uh, on the poverty reduction. Doctor Zugablas, what's your insights into China's strategies and position when it comes to addressing overarching global challenges? Well, it is important to mention that China itself, as a developing country, has a good understanding of of problems which are existing in the developing world. And、uh, it is this understanding which is、uh, shaping、uh, Chinese policies toward this direction. And if there is、uh, one、uh, case I need to focus on, and that was not mentioned before by my distinguished colleagues, this is the Belt and Road、uh, Initiative. So the Belt and Road Initiative uh, uh, right now uh, uh, celebrating ten、uh, years since its first uh, launch uh, in 2013. Uh, is uh, an instrument which is、uh, facilitating、uh, the potential,、uh, the existing contribution of of China towards improving、uh, living conditions in the developing world, and obviously taking into account the sustainable development goals. But I also like to make another remark in the context of international cooperation, and as I just mentioned, the Belt and Road Initiative. So, what matters especially for the developing world, like in continents such as Africa, for example, is not to look at different uh, uh, interconnectivity uh, pr- uh, projects and models like the Belt and Road Initiative or the European Global Gateway in the context of international competition. But to look for ways how these projects can overlap and intersect, because this is in the interest of the developing world. And I believe that as our discussion today is placed in the context of cooperation, collaboration at the UN level, it is highly significant to look at interconnectivity from this prism, from the prism of how different projects and different models can、uh, intersect in order to contribute towards. The end of improving living conditions for people living in the developing world. Gentlemen, Hanjiang's trip to New York has also attracted many people's further attention to China-U.S. relations. Hanjiang met with the U.S. Secretary of State Blinken, U.S. Presidential Special Envoy on Climate Change John Kerry, as well as leaders of U.S.-friendly groups, think tanks, and people from all walks of life. Doctor Zugablis, how would you evaluate the recent developments in China-U.S. relations? Yes.、Uh... Uh, thank you for this important uh, question. Uh, I believe that it is highly significant to、uh, conclude that it's much better when the United States and China are talking to each other. So this is a development which uh, is uh, generating, uh, I would say,、uh, a level of uh, uh, relief in the international community, taking into account that bilateral relations, especially in 2022. Uh, had uh, suffered by uh, a high degree uh, of uh, misunderstandings and uh, and uh, disagreements.、Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's、uh, this is the one side of the story, but the other side of the story should be up to what extent、uh, 
that kind of meetings could uh, lead the two sides uh, to minimize the risk uh, for an accident uh, that might have dramatic repercussions of the world, but I also, uh, but also to pave the way for international cooperation for the two countries to respond together to the challenges. Some of the challenges we mentioned before, like climate change, for instance, but also what matters uh, more is for the two to work together towards meeting sustainable development goals and towards helping the others. Because without China and the United States working together, then we cannot be hopeful for peace and prosperity in the world. So I'm uh, uh, very optimistic to see the two sides talk to each other. Dr. Kurzweil, very briefly, how do you assess the direction of China-U.S. relations in recent days? Um, I would say still not great. I mean, there's no real sign from the United States that they've given up on the ambition of industrial decoupling, for instance. Um, you know, the big news recently in that direction was Huawei developing indigenously the um, the seven millimeter chip and stuff. And you know, this would be a really good moment for them to say, okay, sanctions in this respect, technology sanctions don't work. Let's abolish them and go back to a period of cooperation. That would be nice, right? But um, as we can see that despite that announcement and despite the demonstrated proof that the sanctions regime isn't working, um, there's no real signs that they're going to wind down those sanctions at this point. Mm-hmm. As we navigate an increasingly complex world, it is clear that international cooperation and multilateralism are more essential than ever. We hope our discussion has provided valuable insights and perspectives. Thanks to all of our panelists, Dr. Timothy Kurzweil, Research Fellow at Advanced Institute of Global and Contemporary China Studies, Chinese University of Hong Kong, Dr. George Zugopoulos, Director of the EU-China Programs and Senior Research Fellow at European Institute of Nice, and Professor Chu Bo, China Foreign Affairs University. That's all the time for this edition of World Today with Mika Anna. Thank you again for listening. Bye for now. <laughs>